coming on. Happy Friday. I mean Thursday. Well, it's Friday for me. Happy Thursday. It's the final show for me of the year. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. And Chad Adams is going to fill in for me uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll have a bunch of fill-ins for the next week. I, I said the other day I had way, way too many <laughs> vacation days <laughs> to take. I haven't taken any, like, and I didn't even think about it. I, uh, I was talking to Chad on Twitter yesterday, and I, I said, apparently, I've got a lot of vacation days. i got to apparently even roll some over into next year. And he says, that's not surprising. He said, I think the last time I filled in for you was like, when you moved into your house in February. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, like that might actually be the case. Um, so, uh, anyway, oh, oh, I saw, got to give uh, congratulations, I think are in order, to the Ukrainian president. Are they presidents? Chancellors? What are they? Leader? The leader. That Zelensky fella who apparently does not have a single person within his orbit that can go out and find him a collared shirt, let alone a blazer or tie. I mean, I'm not even asking for a tie. You know, in today's culture, no, nobody wears ties anymore. In fact, if you're wearing a tie, it almost seems like you're in the disadvantageous position, right? You're in an inferior, you're like the defendant, right? You're the job applicant. Like, oh, I see all these interviews with these really, really rich people. And when you get really, really rich, then you go to T-shirts, you notice that? Like all the tech bros and stuff, they all they, they wear t-shirts. And that's what Zelensky was wearing. Maybe he's really rich. That would not be surprising, actually. But kudos to Zelensky. He didn't get a, a collared shirt or a blazer for his appearances uh, at, at the White House or at Congress. But he did finally get that White House meeting. Right? He finally got his White House meeting. It's been a long time coming. He had to get invaded by Russia to get it, but he got the White House meeting. So take that, Donald Trump. You got impeached because you wanted an investigation into Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Ukraine. See, if you had just paid him tens of billions of dollars, you would not have been impeached. And here's the thing. If you had just taken like tens of billions of dollars, it wasn't even yours. It was taxpayer funding, right? It was taxpayer money. It's not even your money. You could have just... Yeah, you could have just given him a whole bunch of money, and then he would have got his his White House meeting. But no, you had to ask for transparency in Ukraine. You had to ask for, you know, information about what might have gone down corruption-wise. So, good for Zelensky. He got his he got his White House meeting, and um, and that flag too, and he got a kiss from Nancy Pelosi. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, big winner yesterday. Look, I, I understand the arguments for and against uh, the money going to Ukraine. I do. I understand b- both sides of that argument. Um, and I know there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that we don't even know about that is probably really driving some of those decisions. But, you know, I, I understand the, uh, the, the, the willingness to arm somebody against a geopolitical foe as uh, Mitt Romney called him, Russia. Uh, I, I understand that. And it's not like we're sending the money directly to Ukraine for a large, uh, uh, yeah, for all intents and purposes. We're not giving them like pallets of cash. I mean, these aren't Iranians we're talking about. These are Ukrainians. We don't, we don't just drop pallets of cash to anybody besides Iran. 
those peace-loving, you know, equality-loving people. Um, no, we, uh, we're, we're giving it to uh, defense contractors. I think mainly our own. So then they can take all of their old weaponry and send it over there, use it to, you know, yeah, 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 to fight for freedom and all of that. But also it clears out the inventory, you know. You got to have, you got to keep jobs in the pipeline, people. You got you to gotta be advancing new technologies and stuff. And so if you clear out the inventory, you get a bunch of money in. So it's, a, it's sort of a, an indirect way to fund the uh, military industrial, co- I mean the defense industry. And freedom. It's a, yeah, it's a way to fund those things. I saw a piece by Ed Morrissey at hotair.com. And first off, he mentions the uh, Article 5 Convention of States. And so automatically I'm interested. But he actually makes the argument against what we're seeing right now. And we've seen it many, many times. And uh, we saw it actually in North Carolina with our state Supreme Court. This lame duck or zombie court, you know, passing uh, uh, rulings, making rulings in cases, fast-tracking stuff, because they know they're going to be out. So they start doing a whole bunch of stuff that that they otherwise would not have uh, done because they're afraid that they're going to get voted out if they were to do it, right? And that's where we are now. We are in this lame-duck session of Congress, and this is where a lot of the worst stuff occurs. And so he says... We need to end this. The the not, not the the process of politicians gaming the system. That's always going to be the case, right? That's always going to be the case. So what can we do to prevent them from doing this? And he says, end the lame duck sessions of Congress. And I think that's a great idea. He said, we often despair that neither party represents the interests of fiscal discipline these days or even competent and accountable governance. It's clearly too much to ask that we get a balanced budget since we haven't seen one even attempted in nearly 30 years. 30 years. That's most of my life. There's not been a balanced budget. Not even attempted. Right? Not even attempted. And even that one uh, was, what, during the Clinton administration, right? And even that one used budgetary gimmicks to do it. He says, without a constitutional amendment, Congress will never budget properly within the limits of national revenue. And without an Article 5 convention, we won't get an amendment that requires it. Precisely. As for competent and accountable governance, that will likely require an Article 5 convention as well. And the First Amendment to service that goal should be an end to sessions of Congress on Election Day or shortly thereafter. The use of lame duck sessions to move major policies and especially budgeting decisions has gone from abusive to scandalous. We haven't had a regular order budget in over a decade, right, which is then used. The the, the leadership knows this. Both parties know this. They both use it. Right? They, they call them these omnibus bills with must-pass legislation or else the whole government's going to shut down. And so they cram a whole bunch of bad stuff into these omnibus bills and they say, you got to vote for it right now. 4,000 plus pages, vote for it right now. And if you don't vote for it, or if you vote for it, there's so much garbage in them that people get to ding you 
with it come election time. And that's how leadership bullies its membership into going along with it. You don't want them to say that you're opposed to cancer research funding, right? It enables all sorts of unaccountable policy decisions. The spending decisions in this bill were largely made by two senators who aren't even going to be in Congress next session. The Appropriations Chair, Pat Leahy, and Ranking Member Richard Shelby, he of the car fame. No, I'm kidding. But they're both retiring. A significant amount of support for this bill comes from people who either retired or lost control of the House last month, especially Nancy Pelosi, who will nonetheless now control the outcome for this budget. Remember Pago? Remember that? Republicans got Obama to go along with Pago, right? Which, which meant you had to pay as you go, right? That's gone. Yeah, that's gone. And Republicans who are supporting it, they're voting to get rid of that. The thing that they fought to the mat over to get Pago, to get some form of restraint, that's out the window now. 4,000 pages. That is a time frame that assures no one is going to actually read it. Well, except for Dan Bishop and his team. Ed Morris, he says his favorite, quote-unquote favorite, is the money appropriated to Customs and Border Protection that has language specifically prohibiting them from using it to strengthen border security. The Border Protection Agency got money that they are not allowed to use for border protection. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Also, we want to welcome the Light the Nights Festival to Uptown Charlotte. You can go. You can make all of the most merriest of memories at Truist Field. Now through January 6th, there is ice skating. Uh, There is snow tubing. uh, There are light shows, live entertainment. There are Christmas trees. There's shopping. There's Santa Claus. kind of feel like I should have read his name earlier. Holiday treats as well. And it's all brought to you in part by Piedmont Natural Gas. Their share of the warmth. Uh, campaign underway, Piedmont Natural Gas, share the warmth. And uh, the snow tubing hill is like 150 feet long. You can learn to play hockey. they got tournaments and figure skating. It's the only regulation size outdoor hockey rink in Uptown. So go check it out. The Light the Nights Festival now through January 6th. Um, at one time, we scoffed at Nancy Pelosi's insistence that Congress had to pass a massive bill to find out what's in it. Remember that? I mentioned it yesterday. 13 years later, that is now the norm. And the ability to kick these issues into a lame duck session omnibus vehicle only incentivizes this nonsense further. So writeth Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com. He said, this is not self-governance by elected representatives of the people. This is governance by an elite cadre designed for the least amount of transparency and accountability possible. It is time for the sovereign states to intercede and bring this circus to a halt. An Article 5 convention needs to propose a new constitutional amendment to end lame duck sessions, requiring a new and accountable Congress to take over immediately rather than two months after the fact. I like this idea. I do. First glance, I like the idea. Election, of course, that does require us to actually finish counting votes in a timely fashion, but uh, at some point I figure we'll... We will, we'll figure that out. Um, but 
uh, after the election is uh, results are known, that's it. No, you cannot have a set. No more sessions after election day. You need you, you need a month, Arizona to count all the ballots or something. Okay, fine. No congressional acts within the next month, and then you get sworn in. And the new Congress takes over. So if you can't pass a bill, you don't get to ram it through when you can suffer no repercussions for doing so. A balanced budget has to be part of the proposals as well for states to ratify as amendments, one that preferably forces regular order budgeting at the penalty of loss of wages and staff during government shutdowns in order to enforce new provisions for responsible governance. I like that idea, too. The Convention of States has kicked around this idea uh, of uh, balanced budget amendment. I understand there are some downsides to it because people are afraid it could uh, incentivized, es- uh, incentivize escalated uh, taxes, right? Because if you have to balance the budget, well, then I guess we got to raise taxes. We're constitutionally required to do so. But he says, you know, one that forces a regular order budgeting process, and if you don't get it done, then you don't get paid, Congress, you guys don't draw checks. You don't get your staffers. You don't get crap. You got to drive yourselves, which I don't know if you've seen Elizabeth Norton Holmes parking that car outside of the Capitol building. I don't know if we want that, actually. That might be a bit too be a bit too much. All right, let me go over here to the phones. Here's Richard. Welcome to the program. Hello, Richard. Hey, how you doing? Hey, um, I'm all right. What's up? We got 40-year high in inflation. In some places, eggs are like 10 bucks. And if the Republicans vote for this, I, I just, it's so deflating. We, we try our best to put them in power in the midterms, and we should have done a hell of a lot better. And what do we get? We, we get more corruption. We get $1.7 trillion in some omnibus. And we got a border that's wide open. And how about... Uh, stay in Mexico, and if, and if you don't put that plan back in place, there's no war money. How about that? Right. there. I don't know if the Republicans are in a better position in the Senate now. Well, I, well no. All right, let me say it this way. I believe the Republicans have more leverage in the Senate right now than they are going to have after the new Senate is seated. And I know they're going to have more power in the House. So why would you... Why would you agree to do this? If you're afraid of the government shutting down, let it shut down over Christmas, and then when you come right back into session, then you pass the funding necessary to open it back up again. So that that smells like corruption. That smells like i got to give my pals money. This is, if it doesn't make sense, you know it stinks. Right, yeah, so, and uh, Richard, I appreciate the call. Merry Christmas to you. It's... It's the, uh, you know, the axiom I say is that uh, if you don't understand the conclusion, reassess your assumptions, right? And if, the, if we're working under the assumption that these guys want to actually pass a balanced budget and, and practice fiscal discipline and restraint, then we're not understanding what they're doing. Well, let's reassess that assumption and maybe we'll understand what they're doing. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas from Congress. You get $1.7 trillion in spending. You're getting money for customs and border protection, but that's not actually to protect the border. No, it's actually specifically prohibited, as we went over yesterday. Not allowed to use the money to expand it, right? Make any kinds of improvements, extend any kind of border security measures. And look, this is it. It is a crisis down there. It's a crisis. I think everybody knows this. Well, not everybody. Not everybody, right? I think there are a lot of people up in D.C. that don't know this. But I think everybody else knows. Well, yeah. Although Kamala Harris is in D.C., but she's in charge of... Has she figured out the... Well, that's not... Actually, hang on. See, my mind's going in seven different directions here. All right, so first of all, I don't think it's fair for us to pin this all on Kamala Harris, right? I mean, I know she got put in charge by Joe Biden, Sheriff Joe, old Sheriff Joe, to you know figure out what's going on at the border. Now, like I think that she's just a product of her upbringing here, much like Joe Biden was put in charge of curing cancer, and he he didn't, um, and then um, he suffered no repercussions. In fact, he he became president. So the signal sent obviously is that if you get put in charge of some sort of a moonshot project, as it was described at the time, um, and you you don't make any progress on it whatsoever. Then you become president. So obviously Kamala Harris is that's the playbook she's following. So I can't really blame her for that. And even then, like she uh, she was only put in charge of figuring out the root causes of the immigration. It's a very narrowly defined project that she was put in charge of. I mean, she's not going to do that either, but that was the project that she got put in charge of. Not the border. No one's doing that. So the the not the so it's not the border protection, the border crisis, the crossings, or illegal immigration, or anything like that. It's just what are the root causes? And I think she determined the root causes are that uh, they don't have enough of our money in their countries yet. I think that was it. So that actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that explains why we're giving all the money to Ukraine and to the Middle East, I guess, to shore up their borders. So if we just give them a bunch of money, we are attacking the root causes of illegal immigration. We are worried about a whole bunch of unauthorized immigrants coming from Ukraine and Jordan and uh, Egypt and the other countries that we promised like hundreds of millions of dollars to to fix their borders, to shore up their borders while ignoring the crisis on our own. Good news, though. There's a little bit of good news. Uh, Texas Governor Abbott. Greg Abbott has, uh, they've been putting up a whole bunch of those uh, shipping containers, right? They've just been dropping shipping containers in a line too high all the way across the uh, high uh, ac- or uh, high volume access points. They started doing that and they've now deployed hundreds of Texas National Guards to El Paso. Is it going to get as cold in Texas? Is it going to be as cold down there as it's going to be here? I'm just, I'm curious because there are like hundreds of people sleeping on the streets, literally on the street. Well, okay, maybe on the sidewalks, maybe some of them on the streets, like well, like not the well-traveled streets, like the back roads or something, because, you, you know, if you're in the streets, someone's going to run you over. But, you know, if you're on a less traveled street, maybe, but mainly sidewalks, parking lots and stuff, these, these folks who have come across 
They're not getting processed. They're just getting tossed out onto the street. You're talking women, children, people with infirmities and such, terrorists, you know. I mean, these are real sympathetic types of uh, characters. And they're just getting thrown out onto the street to fend for themselves. And if you got this big wintry system moving through, what's going to happen if people die on the streets? Whose fault would that be? I mean, besides all of us, you know, white Christian nationalists, <laughs> right? Whose fault is that? I would submit it is the people who have empowered a government and those running the government that has enacted these policies that are inhumane at best. At best, these are inhumane policies. The amount of pain and suffering you are causing people. It's grotesque. It is just grotesque. I've talked about this for Gosh, 15 years now. Ever, I mean, ever since we started seeing this, the, the mass migration come into Charlotte, and, and I remember covering school board meetings, and they started talking about all of the ESL programs, and we need more classroom space, and they got teachers trying to teach classes, and the kids don't speak English. They're not literate even in their own languages, and that's just like any language. There's like 150 languages in CMS. That's a problem. That's a problem. What kind of life are you making for these for these kids, first of all, then there's all of the, uh, you know, the murdering, the raping, the abusing, the cartel drug smuggling, like all of this stuff, too. How is this a humane policy? Where where you incentivize parents to send their kids alone on treks of hundreds or thousands of miles with a bunch of uh, money stuffed in their pockets, which they can then be uh, robbed of, abused, murdered, raped, whatever. It's sort of, uh, that's uh, that, that's one of the things, these are the things that happen by the coyotes, by the cartels, all along the border. And that's the humane approach. The guardsmen carrying rifles, <gasps> oh no, and lined up along the border by the river with a large line of Humvees behind them, other troops began deploying razor wire along the river to deter migrants hoping to cross the water. This is in El Paso. Governor Greg Abbott was credited with deploying the troops after a caravan of more than 1,000 migrants crossed the river into El Paso over the weekend. The city has been bracing for an expected flood of as many as 14,000 migrants per day when Title 42 expires. Though that change is currently on hold while the courts try to sort it all out. Title 42 was the uh, policy, it was a public health statute that Trump used. During COVID, used it to stem the flow of illegal immigration. And more than 2 million unauthorized immigrants were expelled under Title 42. And the Democrats have been trying to get rid of this. The Biden administration has been trying to get rid of it. They already got rid of the Remain in Mexico policy. And they get a pass from media on a very simple question of how many is too many? What does an open border look like versus what we see right now? What's the difference? What's the practical difference? And by the way, this is one of the areas where uh, one of the issues I, I split with the capital L Libertarian Party on. I am not an open borders person. I, I am of the Reagan philosophy that a country without borders is no country. Countries go to war over borders. They do. Usually, actually. Usually that is the case. It's over borders because one country wants to be part of the other. They want to take it over. And so they invade, right? 
The show of force by the Texas National Guard had the intended effect. Migrants quickly began moving away from the area. The remaining stragglers were described by local reporters as being a, quote, small group. Now, why this didn't happen sooner remains an open question. El Paso is currently in pretty bad shape. Every bed in every shelter is full, and the El Paso airport has now been converted, or they've converted an entire terminal into a migrant shelter with thousands of illegal migrants sleeping on the floors under Red Cross blankets. Local churches and charitable groups are reportedly running out of resources and their services are being strained to the breaking point, which might actually be the point. That's the feature. Have you ever heard of Cloward Piven? Cloward Piven, these were sociologists back in the 60s or 70s, and they developed this strategy, which essentially is to overload the government system to the point that it breaks. And when the the population becomes outraged that their uh, services and programs have been cut off, shut off because you've broken it, they will then riot. They will then threaten the elites into giving them what they want. And then the elites will say, fine, here's a living wage. Here's a, or a, uh, a universal basic income. Here you go. Essentially, it's an extortion plot. How does, how does that differ from what we're seeing right now at the border? To break the system in order to apply pressure to extort some, some goal, whether it's, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, they're all different. I mean, you can see the, the Democratic Party. They've got a political agenda. I assume that this is about, you know, demographics is destiny. I assume that's what that's about. But maybe it's about population growth. Because, right, we had... Did you hear the census report? It was in one of the newscasts uh, about an hour ago. So I almost forgot. Well, no, I did forget. But now I remembered. So in the third hour, (laughs) in the final hour of the show here, the final hour of 2022. We're going to give you some uh, uh, some Christmas movies. I'm, I mean, I'm not giving them away. We're giving you just the names. You're going to have to go get them yourselves. But um, if you are looking for some Christmas movies to add to your playlist, uh, over the next uh, hour or so, let's compile a list of recommendations. So if you have a, a favorite movie, favorite Christmas movie, or two, I'm not interested in getting the whole list. Like top one or two. You can send them to me, Pete, at thepetecallanershow.com. You can tweet them at me, at Pete Callaner. You can even call in and tell it to Bernie, and Bernie will make notes, and then we'll see if I'm able to read his handwriting. It's 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. All right, so favorite Christmas movies, top two, maybe three. That's it. Definitely not more than three. Definitely not more than three. And I got uh, lists here as well, so uh, I've got uh, I got you covered. And I also have yes, I've got some thoughts on Die Hard, the Christmas movie. Okay, so we'll get into that in the third hour. But first, on a serious note, well, continuing on our serious note, um, not that Christmas movie selection isn't a serious subject too, but um, the Census Bureau says that we grew, our population grew, and it was mainly due to international migration. And I assume that that means illegal and legal. 
authorized and unauthorized, right? 1.3 million international migrants. I am pro-immigration, by the way. I am not somebody who says, don't take anybody, close the borders forever. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I am for uh, immigration. I want authorized, controlled, policy-driven immigration. I don't believe our policies are good. I think the whole system needs to be deconstructed, to use a term of the progressive postmodernist left, deconstructed and rebuilt. 1.3 million international migrants. That is a 168% increase over last year. This is one of those things, one of those questions, just like when you uh, when they put polls out, same thing happens with teacher pay or per-pupil expenditures. When you ask people, should we pay teachers more? Should we spend more per-pupil on education? Should we allow immigration? Right? Everybody says yes to those things. And then you ask them, how many immigrants do you think America takes per year? Give me a number. How much should we spend per pupil? Give me a number. How much do teachers make? Give me a number, right? What do you think it should be? And what is it actually, and what do you think it actually is? And then you compare that to what the numbers really are. And you will find that the vast majority of us are idiots. <laughs> the vast majority of us don't know. We're not idiots. We just don't know. We don't know the information. We're not aware of it. All we hear is the talking points that say, pay me more, uh, fund schools more, or increase the uh, increase immigration. And when you ask them, how many people do you think come into America annually, legally, every year? And people think it's like none. When actually, it's like over, last I remember seeing, over half a million? Legal. That's what we take in a year. Now, you could argue that that's too low. You could say we should take a million a year. Okay. Like, let's have an argument about the number, right? Because if you look at population, like if you look at the population, how many are, uh, kids are we having? What's the replacement rate? How many are dying? You could say, all right, well, let's, let's try to make sure that these numbers are in our benefit, right? You want to, uh, if, we're, you know, if we're losing more Americans per year than we're repopulating on our own, then maybe we need to pad that stat a little bit, right? Maybe have a couple extra... <laughs> a couple extra uh, countries that we open up to or more people from countries that are already allowed in, something like that. that. Then it's just an argument over the number. But when you have people that are ignorant of how many we already actually take, well, you can't really just accept their argument at face value that we, it should be more. Because that's that's an ignorant position. It's an ignorant position. So they're sending National Guard down to the border. Not that it's going to be enough. They don't have enough. We'll get into more of this after the news. (laughs) 